Okay, so by way of review, I'm just going to read Romans 5, 1 through 15, which will catch us up at verse 16, because that's where we are. Um, so, 5, Romans 5, 1. Therefore, right, you always ask, what's the therefore, therefore, right? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So that's a long sentence, right? Those three, those three verses are a pretty packed sentence. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Okay, so we've been going over some of these much mores right we've been going over how god does the harder thing therefore he does the easy therefore the easier thing will come and that once we were enemies now we're at peace with god right and more more much more we're at peace with god we can rejoice in in having that peace we can rejoice in our sufferings because all good things will co come out for the good for every one of us that believe right if you're a believer all things will work together for the good of those who love him not for the unbeliever though the unbeliever all things will work together for their bad in the sense of judgment right bless you but all things that are in your life difficulties trials sufferings all these things they will work together for the good for you if you are a believer and so paul has said okay you have all these great and wonderful things um now basically now what right and so we we um we learn that adam's transgression was severe for humanity we sinned with adam right adam was the representative head of the human race and god looks upon us before we were saved or, or justified as though we were with adam when he did that sin right that's the way we he would look at us because we have Adam's sin imputed to us um, so although so now Paul creates this contrast and comparison between 
Adam and the second Adam, right? The last Adam, I should say the first Adam and the last Adam. Um, and so there's these series of contrasts. Um, so the first contrast was in verse 15, and I read it, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. So the contrast is a trespass and a free gift. The result is the free gift is much greater than that trespass. Um, through that trespass, many died, right? Death came to the human race after Adam's sin before they would have lived eternally. You know, they, they had what they call unconfirmed righteousness, and then it became confirmed unrighteousness, right? Before the fall, before his fall, they were innocent in the sense that they had not sinned, but that was not confirmed, right? When they got tested, that would prove them to be confirmed righteousness or, un or confirmed unrighteousness. Does that make sense? So because of the fall, it was a confirmed unrighteousness. That unrighteousness was imputed to all of his seed, and we are part of his seed, and that's why we have this imputation of sin. Um, that's actually a big difference between Judaism and Christianity, is this notion of a sin nature. Um, Judaism, more, more or less, says that your acts of sin are what make you a sinner, right? Not following the law makes you a sinner, right? Or not, not doing what it says or not doing what it says not to do, right? Or doing what it says not to do. That's what makes you a sinner. Christianity says, no, you were a sinner before. And that's Paul is saying that. Before the law of Moses was even around, people died. Therefore, sin was there, right? Um, but Judaism teaches that your righteousness is based upon how well you keep the law, basically, right? And so we can see when Christ goes to, to the Pharisees and to the teachers and to the leaders that he says, you know, you hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombstones, you know, you're, you're full of, you know, viper blood and all these, all these rash things he says to them, you know. And they thought themselves to be righteous because they thought that they were following the law well, so therefore they're righteous. But Christ says, no, you're a hypocrite. You say this, but you do that. You say this, but you do that. You know, so, so that's the difference between Judaism and Christianity is that Christianity would say, and remember, Paul is a Jew, right? Paul knew Judaism. Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was taught under Gamaliel. He knew, he knew um, what Jews believed, but Christ, remember then we talked about early on that he received all these revelations about the true kingdom or the kingdom of God from Christ, right? That he, in his, in his uh, early life, uh, after being a believer, after Christ revealed himself to him, he had all these truths, right? And he talks about his own gospel and the gospel that, that, that the, the Gentiles will be saved. That's part of the gospel that he had. Whereas even the Jews around him at that time thought that Gentiles had to become Jews to be saved, right. right? But Paul says, no, it's not about Jew or Gentile anymore. It's about one man, one body. And, it's, you know, and then he's gonna, we're going to see that he's going to go and say, that doesn't mean that Israel does not exist or isn't important. Very much so. All the promises and all the covenants and all the things that are given are to, Jew, are to Jews. So that's sort of the position that he's taking. But he's... He's having to uh, retrain the idea of what sin is and why the law was there and what a Jew was and how a Jew failed 
for rejecting the Messiah because the Messiah fulfilled all the law, right? Making it inoperative in a sense, not, not, not null and void, but inoperative to create righteousness. Okay, so, so far good? All right, so let's look at the second set of contrasts, and that's seen in verses 16 and 17. So if someone would um, read verse 16 and 17. Okay, so here we see a contrast or distinguish between justification, which is life unto God, right, and condemnation, which is death, because you're apart from God, right? Death is generally just an apart, you're apart from God, right? And if you're an unbeliever, you are apart from God, so you're going to die. So the contrast is of two sort of things, quality and certainty, right? So verse 16 has to do with quality, because of one man's trespass, many have died, and this is a kind of a repeat of 15, but through one man's death, many trespasses are forgiven. So believers are justified of many sins, and God's gift of grace comes in spite of their many sins. So that's quality, right? One man's death is the trespass, and one man's death is the forgiveness of many sins. Verse 17 is the certainty, because we know that death reigned through Adam, right? It, death was the king, or reigned over every human through Adam, but what reigns through Jesus Christ is life. Death reigned through Adam, life reigns through Christ, right? But again, that life that reigns is limited to those who believe. That's the condition, is the belief in that provision. Because the unbeliever is identified with Adam, has that, that imputed sin, right? So they identify with, with Adam, and, it's, and they are condemned because of that act of sin and that imputed sin, sinfulness. But the believer who is identified with Christ is justified in spite of the same sin, right? In spite of the, the many sins. Um, those who believe that provision with faith will receive the gift of righteousness, and then that righteousness allows them to reign with Christ. So death reigned over us as even believers before we were believers, and now that we are justified, we have become righteous. That righteousness enables us to reign over death and reign with Christ. That's, and that will happen in the Messianic Kingdom, right? That thousand-year period. When all the promises, it's an interesting thing, all the promises and covenants given to Israel, the church will be administrators and reigning with Christ during that time of the fulfillment of the covenants to Israel. Are we following that? That's a, that's a, that's a big deal. That's a big deal, right? And we might say to ourselves, who the heck are we to have any administrative authority or any kind of anything, you know? We're gonna be lucky to get there, you know? But that's what he says, right? Okay, are we good? Any, any thoughts, com comments, or questions or anything?
All right, clear. This is easy. <laughs> so verse 18, someone read verse 18, because here's now Paul's going to draw a conclusion. So read verse 18. Right, so Paul is kind of summarizing the previous verses because it's just like a reiteration of that the condemnation of humanity is the result of one sin, right? Um, Paul just is driving that point home that condemnation came from that one trespass and that all were condemned. Many were, he says, many all were condemned. Um, but however, because of one act of righteousness, justification came to all as a free gift to those that believe. So the, the, the righteousness of God is available to all men because of what Christ did, but it is only applied to those who believe, right? So all the sins of the world were potentially forgiven. It isn't the rejection of Christ per se, because that's just one of many sins, right? Um, but the, the righteousness is available to all men, but it's only applied to those who believe. Okay, then verses 19 through 21 are some more contrasts. He's going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, in verse 19, he, he contrasts disobedience with obedience. So read verse 19, if you would. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many will make sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Okay, so that's pretty self-explanatory, right? One, as a result of one man's disobedience, the human, humankind were made sinners, and then as a result of man's obedience, humankind can be made righteous if you're a belief in Christ, if you identify with Christ. Um, you, don't have, you don't have a choice to be identified with Adam, but you have a choice to be identified with Christ, right? That's sort of that sovereignty of God and sovereignty of man, and we... You might want to ask, well, why is it that I didn't have a choice with Adam and I, don't, and I have a choice with Christ, you know? And I think that's, that's the richness of God's omnipotence and omniscience, you know? And, and if we didn't have a choice, then we would be robots in a sense, you know? Not, not, not a sovereignty about us and not a will or a soul that separates us from that. God, God is pleased only by faith. Right, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you don't have a choice and you choose, if you don't choose, you don't have faith, and you can't please God because you didn't have the faith to plead to choose Him. Right? Okay, verse twenty. So verse nineteen was um, obedience and disobedience. Verse twenty is between law and grace. So if you read verse twenty. law was added so that the trespass might increase but where sin increased grace increased all the more so we just went over how how Paul had said it, the law of Moses wasn't responsible for human deaths or human sin right um, because death occurred before the law was even given right so then if it isn't the Mosaic law that brings death, right, why did God give the law at all? That's a question that we have tried to answer some. What we find out is that the law came in 
2. So meaning it came in alongside the principle of death already, right? So the principle of death was there because of the imputed sin of Adam. The law came in alongside that to do what? What does it say? The law came in to do what? <laughs> Verse 20. Mine says the trespass might increase. To increase the trespass, right. right? So the law came in to increase sin. Isn't that a weird? Yeah. <laughs> that's a weird thing. You're already condemned. You're already uh, have imputed sin. You're already condemned. The law comes in to say, okay, well here's more. Yeah. Here's more. Here's more. Here's more. Right? But then there's a comma and it says, but where sin increased, what abounds even more? Grace abounds even more, right? That's an, that's an incredible idea, right? It's an incredible position. So the law doesn't bring death. The law just comes alongside death already to say, look, you're going to die. Here's more things to condemn you. Here's more, here's more, here's more, because you're that unrighteous that you will, you, you will naturally fall into that. And it's a sin of self-righteousness too, that you think you've done something well, but you haven't because it hasn't pleased God because it wasn't based on God's provision of faith, right? So, it's not very nice. <laughs> what was the reason for introducing, introducing this law, right? So we learned that it's to increase trespasses. Um, it multiplies sin, and that's what we had been talking about, that it should point to you, or it should prove to you that you need a savior, that you need God to be made righteous. It's the point is to prove to yourself and all of us that we are unrighteous people. Um, even if we follow the law, we can't follow it perfectly, right? right? We can do some things, right? And generally it corrupts you. Generally it makes you feel like you're puffed up, like you're doing something good, therefore you're self-righteous, right? So the law was established to multiply sin, make humanity sin more, because people sin more, there's no doubt there was under condemnation and needed justification, right? It should point you to, to the fact that, like I said, that you need a savior, that you need God to come in and intervene because you can't do it. Um, so it, we know the law increased trespasses, increased transgression, increased sins, but it can't and it never provided righteousness. It just exposed yourself. It just exposed you to your innate, imputed sin nature, right? That's very well explained in Galatians 2, chapter 3. So the law had a beginning and it had an end. The fact that death came before the law, the fact that the law ended, and grace comes after the law, actually. Um, I'm not, not after the law, but grace became, became available after the law, right? In the sense that the, the people look forward to Christ or, or the Messiah or God uh, reconciling them to himself, we look back and say that the man Christ Jesus reconciled us to God, right? Um, so the purpose of God, the, the law was not the original purpose of God um, because both sin and death existed before the law. The law was not the savior. The law was not Christ. The law was not the answer. All it did was just come alongside the sin nature to expose it even more, right? Um, it wasn't the final purpose of God. So the same God that gave the law also promised the new covenant, right? In the Old Testament and declared that it would not be 
accord, the new covenant would not be according to the old covenant. So let's just, just look at that quickly. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. This is the new covenant that God made with Israel. All the covenants are made with Israel. There's no covenant made with the church or Gentile believers. It's made with the nation of Israel. So if someone want to read 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and brother, and teach his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their Okay, so we see there, even in Jeremiah's times, that God says, it's not, I'm going to bring about a new covenant. It's not going to be like the old covenant, which was the Mosaic covenant, as he says right there. Right? Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Um, they broke it, even though I was their husband, right? He, he led them by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud in the day, and he gave them manna, and he did all these things, right? And they still broke it. Um, so then he goes and say, what's going to happen? Know the Lord. No one's going to have to say, know the Lord, because they all will know him, the, the least of them to the greatest. I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So has that happened? Levi, has that happened yet? No, it hasn't happened, right? I mean, meaning that the law, they don't, they still have to teach, we still have to teach one another about God, right? And in, especially in Israel, they still teach, they have Jewish school every Saturday, you know, and all these things too. So no, the new covenant has not yet taken place, right? Some people would say that Christ brought the new covenant. Christ didn't bring the new covenant yet. He ratified the new covenant that it will happen because when, when the nation of Israel does get justified, they will have the Holy Spirit in them, and they will have the law written in their hearts in a, in a glorified manner too in the, new, in the uh, millennial kingdom. So Christ was a part of the new covenant. He made the new covenant possible because he rendered the law inoperative, right? They were living by the law. Christ rendered the law inoperative. Once they believe in Christ, they will have all the blessings of Christ that Christ gives them, right? And they haven't yet received that yet as a nation, but they will. And that's what ushers in the millennial kingdom, right? It's the end of the tribulation when they say, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? Isaiah 53 talks all about that, how, you know, we were bruised, he was bruised for our iniquity, by his stripes we were healed. We thought we were doing a good job by condemning him and putting him on a cross, but in fact, it pleased the Lord to put him on the cross for us, for our iniquities, right? And they finally come to realize, oh my gosh, he is our Messiah. He is the one whom God had been promised to him, and they repent. And then, I mean, they're, they're, they're literally pushed into a corner to repent because the whole world is going to try to get them. 
in the seven-year tribulation, but they repent. And that when they call out for Christ, that's when he comes back. And it isn't until they call out that they, he comes back on the earth, like physically, like he's going to descend and touch the ground and be there, right? The rapture, he's up in the air and he takes us with him. When he comes back, he physically comes to the earth and puts his feet on the ground in Jerusalem and establishes his kingdom right there. So that's kind of a tangent. But <laughs> okay, so good. Mosaic law, we can go back to Romans. The Mosaic law exposed sin to light, right? All it did is just say, you know, you're in this dark room, you flip on the lights and the cockroaches are everywhere. You're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know there's cockroaches here. That's what sin, that's what the law does to sin in your life. It flips on the switch and you realize, oh my God, I got cockroaches all up in here, right? I'm this terrible person. So where sin increased, grace increased all the more. <clears throat> Chapter 5 ends in verse 21 uh, by basically giving the purpose for all that's been said so far. So read verse 21, if you would, 521. So sin has reigned. Sin still reigns, right? Death still reigns if you're an unbeliever, right? But if you are a believer, grace reigns much more in righteousness, right? In your sin, grace abounds much more. So grace will bring eternal life, and it, and it brings righteousness through Christ. Remember, we talked about how when you are justified, the moment you're justified, you're not actually righteous in the sense that you not, are not sinless. You're still a sinful person, right? But the imputation of righteous is a legal term that God says that person is not under the condemnation for his unrighteousness because the righteousness of Christ is within him, right? And so the process then is what the next chapter is. Now that you have this justification, now that you are in this position of being in Christ, Let's make you righteous, or let's help you to be more righteous and less sinful, right? I mean, that's basically the process, and that's, that's what we're going to go, go touch on right now. But um, sin reigned in death. Grace will reign in righteousness. Um, grace brings eternal life and righteousness through Christ. Um, God's purpose is that, that grace will reign where sin and death did before, right? Sin and death reigned before. Now, grace does. Um, it's not to say that believers won't die because we die, right? Unless we get raptured. Um, we all will die. But there's a guarantee of, of a resurrection, right? A resurrection into a glorified body. So grace will reign where sin did. Grace will reign in you still, right? Um, so the instrument is righteousness or the tool, the ability is righteousness. The goal is eternal life. Jesus Christ is the way that that happens, right? The tool is to make you righteous, to be in the presence of God. The goal is to do that eternally and not be separated from God. And the only way to do that is Jesus Christ. That's it. It's kind of that narrow, right? It's not kind of, it is that narrow. It is only one way, right? He says, I am the way. I am the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? That's the way. 
So to kind of to kind of summarize verses 12 through 21, I'm going to quote uh, a guy who wrote an article. It was published in the Journal of Dispensational Theology. He's a professor of Bible and theology at Tyndale Theological Seminary and Biblical Institute. That's where I took many of my seminary classes was, was there. I didn't graduate, but I took many classes there. Um, so his name is Daniel Starcevich, and he provides a very good summary of verses 12 through 21. So I'll just quote what he says. Um, yeah? Okay, Romans 5, 12 through 21 teaches, this is quote, that at the moment Adam sinned, the whole human race personally sinned with him. As a result, the entire human race shares in his condemnation and guilt. That's in verse 12. The reign of death from Adam to Moses shows that guilt and condemnation were present until the law was given. That's in verse 13 and 14. Furthermore, God's grace gift of justification is more than sufficient to address the history of sinfulness that the law reveals and to liberate humankind from the rule of death and establish them as rulers over life. Faith in Jesus is, therefore, more than sufficient to replace condemnation with justification and transform the disobedient into righteousness. Consequently, just as it is by the grace gift of God that one is justified, so also it is through this same grace gift that one will be freed from the reign of death. Okay? <laughs> so that, that, with that, and with the end of verse 21, that ends the discussion about, uh, of the section of justification, right? And the imputation of righteousness that has been covered so far, right? So just a one-sentence summary, it says, you know, justification deals with the past aspect of the believer's present self salvation. Um, we've been justified once and for all, right? You're justified, it's a one-time act. There's, we, we would say there's tenses of salvation. There's a past, present, and future. Um, we were dealing with the past. The moment you got justified, you were saved. That's salvation. The next present aspect of salvation is sanctification and then the future one will be glorification i've said that before but that's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna study next is sanctification right the second aspect of salvation and it's the it's while we're walking with the lord going through the process of becoming more righteous right becoming more like him conformed into the image of god that's god's purpose in your life Thessalonians, I think it's Second Thessalonians 4, it says this, and this is the will of God. What it says, colon, <laughs> to be sanctified, right? Sanctification, and it says, so abstain from sexual morality, abstain from a few other things, but basically the premise is the will of God in your life, if you want to know, is sanctification. No matter where you are, no matter what you do, no matter what career, no matter if you're a full-time minister or not at all, a paid minister or not at all, the goal and purpose of your life is to be sanctified. That's it. So you could be in Fort Myers or you could be in North Korea. The goal is the same, to sanctify you. It's just a means, a how that is, is unique to you, but that's your purpose in life is to be sanctified. So the next section is gonna deal with what that means and how do we do it and, you know, Let's, let's do it because that's our reasonable, now that we receive justification, our reasonable response would be, now what? How do I be, be actually righteous 
without knowing, knowing that I had all these cockroaches here and you've given me this free gift of grace, okay, let's go, you know, let's walk, let's do this. Okay, any good, any questions? Nobody. <laughs> we need the question, question of this time. <laughs> okay, so part three, sanctification. So the impartate, remember we had, we had imputation, but this is the impartation of righteousness, right? So it's going to cover 6, 1 through 8, 17. Um, so we learned that justification is the solution to the problem of sin being imputed to us from Adam, right? We can, we can rejoice because we've been declared righteous, right? We can rejoice. Um, and that's a fact, because um, we've been set free or liberated from the penalty of sin. Um, but sanct so sanctification, on the other hand, is that um, it deals with the power of sin still in our lives, right? If we're on, obviously, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we still sin. Sin still has power in our life. So why does sin still have power in our life? What do we do about this sin if we've been in declared righteous, right? All these things. What do we do with this? How do we, how do we grapple with this? So that's what this next section is going to deal with is the solution to that problem, right? Justification was the solution to the imputation of sin. Sanctification is the solution to the problem of sin still having power in your life, right? And how do we gain freedom from that power? Um, and so all three chapters, six, seven, and eight, they form a unit and it deals with sanctification. So chapter six is going to deal or discuss how believers never have to sin again. You never have to sin again, right? Why? Because we're dead to sin. We died with sin. We're gonna go over that, but that's what chapter six is dealing with. You are dead to sin. The only person who resurrects sin in your life is you, right? Because we're dead to it. Chapter 7 teaches that even if believers try not to sin, they still sin, right? You still sin. Yet they have access to a new power. Anybody know what that new power is? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that indwells you, right? So you have access to this power to never have to sin again, even though you're going to, right? It's kind of so it's an interesting thing. Then chapter 8 teaches that believers never have to sin again because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So we have this power of the Holy Spirit in chapter 7. Chapter 8 teaches that um, we never have to because the Holy Spirit is in us. So we'll, we'll kind of hash that out. So the emphasis of this little section is of how to now live a justified life. You are justified. How do you now live that life, right? We, we should live this life because we have union with Christ because the purpose of sanctification is to make you holy. You weren't holy. You've been declared righteous, but you aren't righteous, right? In, in, the, in, the, in the practical aspect, you are not actually a righteous person because you still don't live by faith in all things, right? You still do things, sinful things. Um, no, no believer will attain sinlessness in this life, right? We, we are very well of that. Um, but what should we expect then? We should expect a decrease. As we mature, we can expect a decrease in the sinfulness um, in our lives, right? Um, so that's an interesting point because that's actually what we're judged on. 
right? There's a beam of seed of Christ, right? And he judges you. And he judges you on your failure or success to access the things available to you, right? That's, that's really what the judgment is. And many of us are going to find out that the th things that we thought were good are, you know, what is it, straw, hay, and rubble, you know? They just get burned up, you know? And then the things that we didn't even know were good, God calls them fantastic and pleasing and like gold and silver, right? And so, but that's the, that's, that's, we are going to be judged for our actions and the actions are going to be based upon now you've been justified, what have you done with it basically, right? And that, that goes along with the parable of, of the talents, right? I was given you these talents, what did you do with them? You know, well, you know, he says, master, I multiplied them 10 times or five times. And one says, well, I just buried them because I didn't know what to do. You know, so that kind of goes along with that, that idea there. Okay, so that's the, the intro of chapter 6. So, A, the basis and new principle of sanctification. Um, so the, the point in verses 1 through 23 is that continuing in sin... Well, let me, let me, let me ask you that to get you to say something. <laughs> now that you've been justified... What should we be thinking, right? What, what is, it, is it okay to be practicing in sin now that you have all these things, right? Um, now, it's kind of a silly question, but it's obviously no. But the, the, <laughs> the idea is that now that you have justification, now that you have all these things, you have all, all this grace been given to you, should we continue in sin? That was the question he asked before. Ah, very good. How we welcome in like newcomers, like you're a mess. It's okay. Join the club. <laughs> Join the club. But it's not okay to stay. Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, I I have something similar to saying like that. You know, people say, "Oh, the church, it's full of hypocrites." You say, "Yeah, there's always room for one more." You know, come on in. You know, and it's true. We are, we we are. And that's the reality. And we want to be less and less and less, but we are because. We can say things, I can talk all day about this, but my life is not what I want it to be, but that's how it happens day by day, moment by moment, you know? Okay, so the point is that we should not continue in sin because we have all these wonderful great grace that abounds in us, so let's not let sin have rule over our life, right? Um, because, of your because of your position, Acts of sin are unnecessary. It's unnecessary. It doesn't reign over you. You die to, to sin. Um, but again, we can't, I don't want it to be, you know, we, we don't live a now a life of guilt and shame, right. right? Like, oh, I just can't measure up. I can't measure up. No. Remember we talked about the gap and the gain idea where you don't look at where I'm not, look at where I've come from, right? Look, look back and go, oh my gosh, I've really matured over time and I don't, suffer the same stupidities that I did before, because I learned, right? Okay, okay, so the basis of sanctification, identify, identification with Christ, a dead to sin, alive in Christ. Okay, verse 1, read verse 1 if you would. What shall we say then? Are, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Right, so now that I'm justified and declared righteous, 
can I do whatever I want to do? <laughs> Why not? If more sin, the more I sin, the more grace abounds, can I just do whatever I want to do, right? That's basically what the point, they're, they're saying that. But such a, que such a question that we could ask is a, is a guarantee of the truth of justification, right? That it's whole, it's, 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 it's uh, perfect. It perfectly justifies you. So the fact that you can even think, well, now I don't have to do, I'm good. I'm made righteous with God, right? I don't have to do anything. Don't, don't, right? It, that, the fact that you can ask that question prove that justification is a perfect solution to that problem, right? Um, if we really believe that we're saved purely by grace, right, then you should ask that question, right? You should be able to ask that question as a, as, as a result of being fully justified because you really believe it. And we, we do really believe it because I know myself, you know, I know myself. Um, so if we can do nothing to lose ourselves, or nothing to earn our salvation, we also can't do anything to lose our salvation, right? They go hand in hand. You didn't earn it, therefore you can't lose it, right? Um, keep getting this. Um, so eternal life does come, regardless of how well you access that grace given to you, and you are justified perfectly because of the work that was done for you, um, but the answer to the question is in 2A. What does 2A say? By no means. <laughs> By no means, right? God forbid, that's what mine says. God forbid, right? By no means, right? Um, are to, are, so are we to remain in sin in order for grace to increase? No. By no means, right? God forbid. It's a very strong and direct dismissal of the question. Why would you ask such a stupid question, basically, right? <laughs> um, certainly not, right? So then there's a counter question. Read 2B. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Right. So he did not, he did not just teach that we're separated from sin, but we're dead to sin. It's not just that it's right over there. We're actually dead to sin, right? How can we who die to sin still live in it, right? We've died to sin because of our union with Christ, right? The union, we'll, we'll discuss the union here in a, in a little bit, not today, unfortunately, but um, believers are counted as dead to sin. We're not physically dead, but we're, they, we died in our relationship to sin. The power, the authority, the reigning power that it had over our lives, we died to that, right? Galatians 2, 22, I think it says, for I have been crucified with Christ, right? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live, I live by the grace and glory of him, right? Um, so why would we still live in sin if we're dead to sin, right? That's kind of the question that you, that's the answer to the question. Do I just can do whatever I want to do? No, why would you do that? Why would you continue, now that you know what sin is, why would you continue to live in sin? Now that you know what righteousness is, live in righteousness. And that's the process, right? It's a, living in sin is a contradiction. It's a moral contradiction because you've been declared righteous. You have the access of grace in your life. Why would you live in sin? Why would you live amongst the cockroaches, right? right? Why? Why? I'm trying to think of that verse. Uh, 
kind of along the same lines. Everything is permissible but not beneficial. Yes, yes. So why keep sinning? It's not benefiting. Yeah. Yeah, that's very that's very good. Yeah, right. Um, so we'll, we'll end with verse two. But because of what Christ has done for us we no longer have to live in sin, right? We had to live in sin because there was no solution before justification. We were imputed unrighteousness. We were imputed sinfulness. Sin reigned in our lives, personally reigned in our lives. Therefore, it reigned in our cultures and our tribes and our villages and our families and our communities. And it's the result of that. But once you be, are declared righteous and once you have the benefits of Christ in you, you are dead to sin and no longer have to participate in it. If you don't have to participate in it, why do you participate in it? Right? That's the question we should be asking ourselves. What are, what, what are you gaining from this? What, what's value compared to what you have? Why would you do that? Right? It's like, why would you eat McDonald's if you could have, you know, I don't know, some super good food or whatever, right? Why would you do that? It's, it's, it's silly. So, um, okay, so we'll, we'll end there, but that's sort of the, the next part that Paul is going to be saying is, God forbid, right? By no means, certainly not. Why? Why? Why would you even want to do that? So, okay. Okay, good. Any, no questions, Jerry? Are you, you okay? <laughs> okay, that's. This, this is good because I hear so much the opposite. Like, I hear people profess to be Christians, but they they don't feel like they need to. Like, there's Stop. no sanctification. Like, they just feel like they tell me they're a Christian, but they'll they'll cuss like. I mean, it's like they have no yeah no no shame. I'm like, yeah yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's another difference between Christianity and Judaism is that um, Ju Ju remember I was saying Judaism makes you righteous. Christianity says you're righteous, therefore you do. Right. Judaism says do and you'll become righteous. Yeah, yeah. Christianity says you're righteous, therefore do. But the problem is they don't do. It's like you... It's good to hear this. It's yeah, you, well, you, I think... I think that's a sin. It is a sin. It obviously, yeah. is a sin. But the sin is that you are rejecting all the grace that's been given to you, right? right? It's like, why, why would you live in filth? Why would you do that? And I think to my salvation moment, you were saying, like, when you got saved, I kind of wanted, I, I just naturally wanted to please God. I didn't God. think I was going to sin again, but of course <laughs> you do pretty quick. But you want to live right. I yeah. mean, yeah. it's just kind of natural and like ingrained in me now it's to want to do right. Yeah, yeah. And I, according to the Bible, do right. So yeah, yeah well, Romans. Anybody have Romans twelve real quick? I, I know I keep just read Romans twelve one and two. I got you. Let's see. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Right, so, therefore, right, that's the thing, therefore, and all these things that Paul is saying, all these wonderful things, 12 says, therefore, 
present your body to living and holy sacrifice because it's reasonable. It's a reasonable service for all the things you have. The reasonable thing is to just present your body a living and holy sacrifice because that's what pleases God. He, he, you should be pleased of all the wonderful things that he's given you. Just present your bodies back to him and let him do what he wants to do. It's going to be good for you, right? So, okay. <laughs> all right, let me pray. Father God, we, we bow our hearts, Lord. We, we bow our hearts before you because you have given us so much and we are unworthy and, and undeserving, yet you give it to us. Lord, we pray that, that you would help our unbelief. We believe, help us in our unbelief. Help us to be sanctified, Lord. Help us to recognize that being not, we don't want to live in sin anymore. It's foolish. It's dumb. It makes no sense. It's, it's degrading to the work that you did in our life. It degrades ourselves. And so, Lord, we ask that you just give us that we would seek first your kingdom and righteousness, and all the things will be added unto us. So we're, we're just thankful that you promised us those things. We're thankful that we have your word. We're thankful that you did all the work, and we're thankful that you, you justified us, and you're the one sanctifying us. It's not us sanctifying ourselves. It's you sanctifying us, and we're thankful for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. <laughs>